please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Out of thankfulness to God for giving us his word, at the end of the reading, I will conclude by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and then we invite you to respond together. Thanks be to God. Today's scripture reading comes from James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Emily, you guys can grab a seat. Well, good morning once again. It's uh, good to be with you. Excited to uh, continue through our uh, sermon series through the book of James. If you're uh, new with us, we're about halfway through uh, this uh, challenging, but I think uh, profitable book in the New Testament written by Jesus' brother. And this morning, as we come to this particular text in James chapter 3, uh, I think the theme is pretty obvious if you just paid attention to what Emily just read for us, and that is the issue of the tongue. And by tongue, what James means by that is, of course, our speech or our words. And words are one of those incredibly important things that I think we often take for granted and don't think about after a pretty young age. And right, for those of you with kids, you're teaching your kids how to talk and communicate. If they're anything like my son, they can't stop once they get started, right? So just lots of words all the time. But after that, we kind of just settle into normal life where words are part of our everyday existence. And because of that, I think we actually can fail to recognize just how powerful our tongues are. They can be powerful in a positive way or in a very destructive way. Now, James is going to give us a few analogies here within the passage, but one of the analogies he gives us is actually playing out in real time right before our eyes right now. So I'm sure you're aware that there are some wildfires that are raging across the west coast of the U.S. right now. And one of these particular fires was started in El Dorado, California, and it had kind of an unusual source for a fire. Maybe you heard the story, but this fire was not started by a campfire that kind of got out of control. It was not started by a cigarette that was still lit and thrown in the wrong direction. Uh, it was not an electrical issue or some car mechanical issue that had a spark that set ablaze this forest. No, instead, this fire was started by what officials, I'm going to directly quote them here, labeled as a malfunctioning, smoke-generating pyrotechnic device that was used for a gender reveal. There's a lot there to take in. 
Um, it just happened that this family, in trying to enjoy and celebrate the, the gender of their new baby, uh, went out into this open field and they set off this device that was supposed to kind of make this really big smoke cloud of either pink or blue. And the problem was that the conditions were literally perfect for a forest fire to begin. So it was well over 100 degrees. They were standing in a field with very tall, dry grass. There was low humidity, a pretty strong wind. And before you know it, what was supposed to be a joyous occasion has ended up destroying more than 20,000 acres in Southern California. Now listen, just as a sidebar, I'm all for her as your pastor celebrating new life, new babies, right? That's a great thing. In fact, we're going to talk about the walk for life today, right? We have an opportunity to do that here locally, but it's possible we've gotten a bit carried away with the gender reveals. Can we agree on that? Like, I remember we used to just, used to just cut a cake, right? And oh, pink or blue, it's great. Now we've got, what was it? Smoke-generating pyrotechnic devices engaged in this. So maybe it's just me. feels like we've gotten a little carried away. This is actually not the first time this has happened, by the way. You can Google that, but I'll leave that alone. Here's what James is telling us. The tongue has that kind of power to it, right? It can be used for great things, great celebration, great encouragement, great joy, but it can very quickly be used to destroy, to tear down, and sometimes to do irreparable damage, and if we are honest with ourselves, it can sometimes feel like there's a level of unpredictability with our speech that can catch us off guard. And right? I'm sure we've all felt that before. We've all had those foot-in-mouth moments where we've said something, and if we could literally catch those words in the air, right, and stuff them back down to wherever they came from, we would immediately do that. We've all had those moments, haven't we? And for the Christian, what James is urging us is that we have to be vigilant when it comes to our speech because our words reveal something deeper that's going on within us. That's where we're headed today. So if I could give you the main idea, here's what I believe James is teaching us in this passage. The tongue is a powerful, dangerous, and impossible to tame without a new heart transformed by the gospel. The tongue is powerful, dangerous, and impossible to tame without a new heart transformed by the gospel. So before we jump in, let's pause and let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Uh, Father, we thank you that we do have access to you through your word. Thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. We thank you that your words are powerful. So I pray today as we seek to submit ourselves to your word, as we want to align ourselves with what you've called us in the Christian life, I pray that you would give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are softened to respond to the good news of the gospel. Help us today to be uh, reflective in our own lives about what our tongue and our speech and our words reveal about what's going on deeper within us. And Lord, I pray as we all will stumble in this way, that you would draw us back to yourself, that you in your kindness to us in Jesus Christ would lead us to greater faith, greater repentance, and greater obedience in this critical area of our lives. So Holy Spirit, may you come and accomplish that in and through our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to walk through this text in kind of three movements today. We're going to look at the power of the tongue, the danger of the tongue, and then the source of the tongue. So the power, the danger, and the source. Let's begin with the power and look back with me at James 3, beginning in verse 1. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James begins here with a particular warning for teachers, and we can all appreciate the irony of what's happening in this exact moment, right? I am teaching the word of God to you, and by doing so, I am inviting greater judgment upon myself. So thank you for your grace and your kindness and your patience, but it is a good reminder to pray for everyone who speaks and teaches and opens up the word of God. Now, I think James begins with a particular issue for teachers that is a general concern for all believers, but I think he's starting with teachers because the warning for those who teach or preach or stand up in this capacity is that their words um, are multiplied every week, right? We speak just a lot of words. That is the way we go about teaching. We open up the scriptures, and then we share what we think the scriptures say. And the book of Proverbs, which James today sounds a lot like Proverbs in many ways, uh, says this in chapter 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You see, the more that we speak, the more that there is opportunity for transgression. There's more opportunity for sin, there's more opportunity for judgments. But James is saying there's power in our words, and teachers know this to be true, right? A good teacher can lead you toward God, just as quickly as a teacher can lead you away from God by inappropriately using words if they're not careful. You see, there's great responsibility in this. And as James reminds, we all stumble in many ways. You see, particular issue for teachers, general concern for all believers. James is hinting that this issue is for everyone. And the more words that we speak, the more we'll be judged by our speech. And words have great power to them. You see, to drive home this point, he gives us a few kind of illustrations or analogies. So look at verse 3. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, an average full-grown horse, according to Google, is somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 pounds. So, pretty big animal. Now, I never have personally been horseback riding, and you can feel free to judge me for that if you'd like. It just looks very uncomfortable. Uh, you can appreciate, just by looking at a horse, how massive they are, right? How muscular they are built. Yet, that strong, muscular animal can be controlled by a tiny little bit, a small piece of metal that is used by the rider to direct this massive, strong animal in a particular direction that they want to go. You see, this muscular, large horse can be controlled and directed by a tiny little piece of metal. That's the first illustration he gives. The second is in verse 4. He says, look also at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So one of the largest ships in the world is the USS Eisenhower. It weighs 91,000 tons. It's nearly four football fields in length. It is literally powered by nuclear energy. It can hold thousands of people and hundreds of aircrafts, but yet that giant ship is controlled and directed by a rudder that is a tenth of one percent of the ship's size. Now, James probably has in mind a more of a, an ancient ship like a sailboat, but even a sailboat can cut through strong winds if the pilot, the captain, knows how to properly direct the rudder of the ship. 
You see, the principle is clear, and James summarizes it in verse 5. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Despite how literally small the tongue is, it is incredibly powerful. Like the bit for a horse, like a rudder for a ship, it can control the whole body, and it powerfully expresses the will of the speaker. You see, the tongue's influence far outmatches its size. Now, we think bigger than just the book of James for a moment. I don't think this should surprise us. I don't think we read James 3 and go, man, never thought of that before. I think we know intuitively just how powerful our words are. Don't we know that? And I think this is true for a few reasons, by the way, if we could take a step back for a minute. The first is this. Words are actually central to God himself. Words are central to God's very character and nature. I mean, God is a speaking God. Think about the opening pages of Scripture. When God creates the heavens and the earth and all things, how does he create them? He speaks them into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. There's a lot of power in God's words, aren't they? But God is one who is speaking and creating all things. The book of Hebrews tells us that God has spoken to us, his people, by the prophets, and in these last days, by his son, Jesus. And then Hebrews goes on to tell us that Jesus, right now, the son of God, upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, God is a speaking God. And don't forget, brothers and sisters, that the message of the gospel, the good news that has gathered us here this morning, according to John chapter one, is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, God has revealed himself to his creation and to his people through words, and we have this book to show for that, don't we? See, words are central to God's character and nature. His words are powerful, which means our words as image bearers of that God are also powerful. So words are central to God's character and nature. But secondly, we also just know from our own experience with words how powerful they are. We intuitively know this firsthand. I bet most of you in this room, if not every single person in this room, can remember words that were shared with you decades ago. Isn't that true? Isn't there power in that? And this, again, can be positive or negative. James 3 has basically created the job description for a counselor, hasn't he? Right? Counselors are working through those words that we heard sometimes decades ago that still impact us today. I mean, think about it for a moment. We might remember when someone significant said to you, I love you. When someone said to you, I'm proud of you. Or when someone said, I forgive you, or will you forgive me? Those are powerful moments expressed by words, aren't they? And on the, I mean, for those of you who are married, by the way, you stood up before God and witnesses, and what did you do? You said vows. You said, I do. Those are powerful words. But on the flip side, we know that words can be used in damaging and harmful ways. Maybe you heard, I'm disappointed in you. How could you do that? You'll never amount to anything. You fool. Right? There are words that stick with us from decades ago that are damaging, that are hurtful. It's not a stretch to say that a helpful or a harmful phrase or two can literally change the whole trajectory of someone's life. See, words have that kind of power. And again, Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death 
and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, whether those fruits are rotten or they are good, either way, those who love it will eat its fruits. James' point, I think, is clear. The tongue is incredibly small from its physical size, but it's also incredibly powerful. But unfortunately, James doesn't just leave it there. He goes from the power of the tongue to the danger of the tongue, and the third kind of illustration and analogy that he gives us presents a little different emphasis. Look at the second half of verse five. James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Some intensity there, isn't it? Those are some scathing words about the tongue. Now, brothers and sisters, the tongue is indeed powerful. We should acknowledge that. But James is really pressing us that we naturally and typically do not use it in constructive ways. We naturally use our tongues in harmful ways. Now, bits for horses and rudders for ships are fairly neutral things, aren't they? But a spark that lights a forest fire is downright dangerous. It can take human life, destroy property, and leave nothing but destruction in its wake. See, James says the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. This is not talk of neutrality here. There is a danger wrapped up in the tongue and in our words. He says it stains the whole body and the entire course of life. There is not one part of us that is unaffected by the tongue. It impacts all of our members, and if it goes unchecked, it will impact it for the entirety of our life in a negative way. We know just how dangerous and out of control a forest fire can become. If the conditions are right, it can be literally impossible to stop this fire from spreading. And James says, so too can your words. So too does your mouth have that kind of power. There is great power, but there is also great danger. And again, we know this experientially. One sentence, even three or four words rightly strung together can set ablaze a forest fire in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. I mean, I know that for me personally, I could get fired, and rightly so, for wrongly stringing together a series of words, couldn't I? I mean, it's that close to happening at any moment. And so just think with me, when James says there is a world of unrighteousness happening with our tongues, just think for a minute about all of the sins that can be propagated by our words. Okay, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's fairly lengthy. You ready? These are all sins that deal with the tongue. The tongue can be deceitful. We can use our words to slander and tell lies. Maybe we don't tell an outright lie, but instead we use the tongue for half-truths. We can use our words to be prideful and to boast. We can use them to gossip about others. We can use them to tear down others. We can manipulate. We can use our tongues to curse. We can stir up division and dissension. We can propagate conspiracy theories, though I'm sure that's not happening anywhere right now, right? All of these things are the sins that come from our mouth. And by the way, that list does not even include sins of omission. 
as in when we should be speaking and we fail to speak, when we fail to encourage, when we fail to speak up in the face of injustice, when we fail to open our mouths, when we ought to open our mouths. Do you feel the weight of what is at stake here? I mean, that list almost feels endless of ways that the tongue can be a world of unrighteousness. That is the way the tongue is a fire. And James says it's set on fire by hell. It's inspired by the enemy, the father of lies, the scripture tells us. The one who from the beginning twists words and misuses the tongue to lead humanity into sin. You see, the sins that we commit with the tongue have their source in an ancient enemy who knows all too well the power and the danger of the tongue and who doesn't want us to think about that dynamic. And James is waking us up to that reality. Don't miss how powerful and how dangerous this is. Now, it would feel negligent of me not to apply this to our modern context because what happens so often here in 2020, right, is that our tongues are now so often expressed, not through verbal words, but through our thumbs, aren't they? So much of our words and our speech and our communication takes place digitally, it takes place online. It could be over an email, it could be a text message, it could be any number of social media opportunities. And in many ways, it feels like we've created a online environment, specifically here of social media, that is run on the fuel of the power of words but it is so often a dangerous, unchecked place, isn't it? I mean, honestly, if we just kind of scrolled through Twitter and then read James chapter three, would anybody go, no, I'm not seeing it? We'd be like, no, this makes perfect sense, right? It is set on fire from hell. We get it, it makes sense, James. Right, our social media has great power, but also great danger. Listen to what Ligon Duncan says. He says that social media simply is another way of exercising our tongues, either for good or for ill. Social media amplifies the reach of our tongues. It lets our private thoughts circle the globe and brings into public discussion conversations and statements that once would have been contained in a small circle of friends bantering in a coffee shop. That means it has huge potential for evil because we are sinners, and as James reminds us, the tongue is hard to tame. You see, someone's social media page or feed or their text message threads or whatever you want to follow there is in some way, shape, and form a window into the soul. That's why it's very disorienting for us. Maybe you've had this experience. I'm sure you have. Uh, where someone who you talk to them in real life, they seem fairly quiet. They seem very personable, right? They seem very normal in human communication. Then all of a sudden, you come across their social media feed and they are like a pit bull ready to devour anybody in front of them. Right, we've had that experience before. It's disorienting, isn't it? It's confusing, and the reason why it's confusing is that that social media stuff is coming from somewhere. It's not just out of thin air. Right now, yes, it's easy to create kind of a character. You can be a keyboard warrior, right? You can hide behind the screen. Those things are all temptations. But at the end of the day, our social media, our online communication, it is just a platform to see what's really going on under the surface. It's almost like when someone is drunk and they start just saying these crazy things, right? But here's the problem, alcohol didn't put any new words into that person, did it? No, it simply brought out what was already in there. Social media operates very, very similarly. This all echoes the words of Jesus, by the way. 
Matthew 15, 11, he says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. There's some more bad news before we get to the good news. Everybody still with me? Buckle up. More bad news. James pinpoints another problem with the tongue beginning in verse 8. He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James says, this is not right. This is not how it ought to be. But at the same time, you and I both know the temptation towards this very activity, don't we? I mean, how long does it take when you exit the doors here at Union Hall and when you drive away from your city group before the very same words that you use to proclaim and extol the goodness of God are now used in anger towards others or in gossip about others or in cursing at a situation, right? There's a temptation in all of us to feel this inconsistency. And I would urge you in this, it's especially when our tongues catch us off guard those moments where we think, ooh, where did that come from that we need to precisely pay attention to, right? We'll, we'll come back to this, but oftentimes when we sin with our mouths, we'll say something like a little bit later after things have calmed down, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I don't know how that happened. That wasn't really me, right? We like to say that when we slip of the tongue. But the problem is James is saying, no, 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 this is quintessentially you. What is coming out of your mouth is who you are. See, the tongue controls the whole body. No member is immune from it. It is powerful and dangerous in that way. And the scariest piece of all of this is that James surely has in mind the words of his brother, who in Matthew 12, verse 36, said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Every careless word that you speak, that you tweet, that you text into that particular group text, whatever you post on Facebook, all of that you'll be held accountable for. That's a sobering reality, isn't it? This is why James says back in chapter 1, in verse 26, he's trying to define true and, and pure and undefiled religion. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. James says, if you want to know if your religion is true, then tame your tongue. Bridle it. Keep it under control. Don't let it dominate and take over. So the question we ought to ask, James, is, well, how do we do that? If this is really the description of the tongue, how do we tame it? One more section of bad news. Sorry. Go back to verse 7. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. James says, on the one hand, if you want true and pure religion, tame your tongue. But on the other hand, simultaneously, he says, but no human being can do it. Some try and soft pedal what James is saying, but I think it's clear. Isn't it clear? This is not something we can do. We cannot tame our tongues. It is beyond human capacity. You can try to clean up your words. You can 
come up with whatever strategy you want to try to replace things that sound horrible with things that sound nice, James says you cannot tame your tongue. Humankind can subdue every kind of animal, but it cannot subdue itself. So where does that leave us? What do we do with that dynamic? What kind of help can we get? Well, brothers and sisters, the moment that we realize that you and I on our own cannot tame our tongues, we actually are in a position to receive help from the only place it can come from, which is outside of yourself. And that's where James goes in our final point here, the source of the tongue. This conclusion might seem odd on the surface, but I think he's hinting at the only hope for you and I as we stumble in many ways with our tongues. Look at verse 11. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James is doing here is he's talking about the source and then what that source produces. So he says, listen, if you have a spring of water, it either gushes salt water or fresh water. It doesn't gush both at the same time. It's one or the other. Or if you have a fig tree, that fig tree produces figs. It doesn't produce olives or grapes or oranges, right? The source leads to the product. And James is hinting at something we absolutely cannot miss. And if you haven't listened to a word I said, this is the most important part. The problem with the tongue is not actually the tongue. The problem with the tongue is not actually the tongue. It's a deeper issue than that. It's got to get down to the source, and we know biblically what the source of the tongue is. It's not what comes out of your mouth, but instead, what is the overflow of your heart. Jesus said this explicitly in Luke 6, in very similar terms to James, by the way. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The problem is not with the tongue. The problem is with our hearts. If you want to know what someone is really like, just let them talk. We can't help but reveal who we are through our words. Our words show visibly on the surface what's actually going on deeper in our souls. And James is picking up on the very same theme that he's been running through this whole letter. He's forcing every single one of us to ask, is your heart alive in faith in Jesus Christ? Or is it dead in sin? Do you have a living, genuine faith in Jesus? Or is your faith worthless? Is it empty? Is it actually dead? Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters. A dead faith will not produce a righteous tongue. James is telling us it is impossible. It's impossible. No more than a fresh spring can produce salt water. No more than a fig tree can bear olives can a dead heart produce a righteous tongue? See, the bad news is this. Our hearts are fallen, and we are self-deceived. And our words reveal just how bad it is. But here's the good news. 
This is precisely the work that Jesus goes about in the gospel. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, transforms us from the inside out. The picture in Ezekiel 36 is that when we have turned to the Lord in faith, what he does is he removes our heart of stone, our dead hearts, our unresponsive dull hearts, and he puts within us a heart of flesh, a living, beating heart, one that is alive, one that is able to respond and to be transformed. You see, brothers and sisters, when we believe the gospel, we are given a new source. We are given a new source. We are given a new heart. Now, James doesn't give us the whole remedy here in these verses. I think he's just hinting at it. But here's the thing. James, remember, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And I'm going to connect some dots that I think James maybe had in mind here. Because in that very city of Jerusalem, there's a significant event that happened there that birthed the very beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. The same church that we are connected to 2,000 years later, halfway across the world. You see, there's one other place in scripture where the connection between tongues and our words is brought together with this idea of fire. And that happens in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, the context here. 120 are gathered in the upper room. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. He tells them to wait. They've been waiting, and all of a sudden, in Acts 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see here in Acts 2, the mouths of the very first Christians were described as tongues as of fire. But notice the source of that fire. James says, our fallen, unregenerate, dead hearts, our tongues are set on fire by hell. Acts chapter 2 comes, and what does it say? Tongues as of fire coming down from heaven rested on them. You see, the tongues of these Christians were set ablaze from heaven above, not from hell below. And by Acts 2.11, they begin to proclaim the mighty works of God. Sam Albury captures this perfectly. He says, Pentecost is James 3 in reverse. The effects of the tongue are no less widespread, but now the great forest is ablaze with the Spirit of God. The small spark of gospel living is able to change the course of a whole life and even whole communities and nations. Such godly fire only comes from heaven by the Spirit of God. If we have come to Christ, this new kind of speech is now our native tongue. It's now our native tongue. For all who are in Christ, our native tongues are set ablaze from heaven above. We saw this in Peter, by the way, in Acts 2. Peter. We love Peter, right? The constant screw-up. Peter, the one who with his words three times denies that he knew anything about Jesus to a servant girl. All of a sudden in Acts 2, beginning in verse 12, opens up a window in Jerusalem before thousands of people and because his tongue has been set ablaze from heaven, because he has been given a new heart, because he has a new source of grace that he is drawing from, powerfully proclaims the good news of the gospel. You see, Peter had a new source. 
and we can have that new source as well. In the gospel, the old has passed away and the new has come, which means we can harness the power of the gospel with our tongues so they can be used to heal rather than harm. They can be used to bless rather than curse. They can be used to change, as Sam Albury says, the course of a whole life. They can change communities and they can even change nations. The same spark that sets a forest on fire can now be used to burn forth the glory of God in the grace of Jesus. Here's the thing. We have to learn to become fluent in our native language. Right, think about a child, right? When they're born, let's say their native, native language here's English. They don't just automatically know English. They have to learn how to speak. They have to learn how to think. They have to become fluent in their native tongue. And the very same thing is true of us. See, we must constantly rehearse this gospel message. We have to constantly remember what God's word says. We have to, in community together, remind one another, inform one another, spur one another on so that we become fluent in our new native language that is fueled by the endless reservoir of God's grace. You see, there's power in our words, isn't there? There's incredible power for the Christian to transform the lives of the people around us because of that. I mean, just consider for a moment, husbands and wives, what would it look like to speak words of life and blessing to one another rather than grumbling and cursing? Neighbors, what would it look like for that neighbor who's got the crazy political sign out in their yard to not just immediately judge them or gossip about them, but to talk to them, to listen to them, to bless them with your words? Parents, what would it look like to use words that are just life-giving to your children, that just ooze the grace of the gospel? And here's a crazy thought. Children, what if you talk to your parents in a way that showcased the blessing that we've received in Jesus? What if at work your coworkers didn't know you as the one who grumbled and complained about being there, but instead your speech was seasoned with salt, as the Apostle Paul says, full of thanksgiving, encouraging to others. You see, the tongue is powerful. Yes, it's dangerous, but it is not beyond hope. It is not beyond redemption because the gospel tells us that we get a new source. And anyone who turns to Jesus can receive that new source. So brothers and sisters, all who stumble with the tongue, let's turn to Jesus and let's receive his grace so our words might be transformed from destruction to hope and to healing. Let's pray.